welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith's weekly sermon podcast. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series Ecclesiastes, Life Under the Sun. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, as you're turning there, a couple of things that I want you to be mindful of as I read this passage today. Uh, Scholars believe that within the structure of the book of Ecclesiastes, that Solomon is intentionally painting with circles. He's, He's coming back to things that he has introduced before, and he is restating them. It is a reiteration for emphasis. In ancient literature, one of the ways that something was emphasized was to repeat it, sometimes in a different way, with different words, but the theme is the same. So what you're going to hear today, when I read this passage, you're going to say, if you've been here and a part of this series, you're going to say, that sounds familiar. You know, I think, is Solomon repeating himself? The short answer is yes. But he's doing it in a different way with specific nuance, to introduce and pull together a theme for us to look at today. And I'm hopefully going to be able to draw that theme out as we look. We're going to look at the 8th chapter in its entirety. Here now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what it is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when a man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before Him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, 
And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say that this also is vanity. And I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to him dependently in prayer. O Lord our God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth and faith and love that we may be obedient to your will and live always for your glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Good government is a gift from God and a fruit of God-given wisdom. How's that for a start to a sermon? Let me repeat that. Good government is a gift from God and the fruit of God-given wisdom. In the context, for example, of our national government, though certainly not perfect, we see wisdom in its design. We see wisdom in its structure. The founders of our country knew that man can be, well, we can be impulsive and collectively impassioned. And so, rather than a pure democracy, they chose to form a republic, which one philosopher describes as a government in which the popular will is carried out indirectly through the mediating office of institutions and their representatives. And so we elect, for example, our national representatives by, well, by popular election. But a little bit of study I found out, fascinatingly enough, it is only after 1914 that we began to elect our senators. Prior to 1914, our senators were elected by our state legislatures. Similarly, we don't directly, although we have a popular vote, we don't directly elect our president. Our president's not elected by popular vote. He is elected by the electoral college. And so such checks and balances are intended to keep us from mob rule, so to speak. Behavior that Solomon, in a passage we looked at today, cautions against and causes, calls it evil. My point is that while no government is perfect, and like if we were Baptists, somebody would have said amen right there. No government is perfect. We can see wisdom in what we have. But here's the thing, wisdom has its limits. Having wisdom, well, it's better than not having wisdom, but it doesn't solve everything. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, continually confesses in Ecclesiastes that he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand it. 
Wisdom may be seen in our form of government, for example, but that doesn't mean that those who serve in our government have a lick of wisdom. See, somebody said, hey, I, knew, I knew there was somebody hitting a church plant, right? So such, such are the mysteries of life. Many that wisdom cannot explain. Part of wisdom, then, is having the right perspective. The humility to accept life's limits. So I want to start here with the right perspective. And that's where Solomon begins. He starts the passage and asks, Who is the wise? Or it could be translated, Who compares with the sage? It's a rhetorical question, isn't it? He's not looking us for us to begin to create a list. Well, you know, the, the, the wise is um, nobody I know, right? Who is the wise among you? This is a question to be contemplated, to be considered, perhaps for the prevalent lack of wisdom within this life. But scarcity increases the value of something. And so... Wisdom makes herself known, and she often makes herself known in the practical application of discernment. Surely it is the sage who, as Solomon puts it, knows the interpretation of a thing. A know-how navigation. How to navigate the complexities of this life. Proverbs says, whoever finds wisdom finds favor, finds life, and obtains favor from the Lord. And Solomon says that you can tell who has found that wisdom. In fact, my paraphrase of this part of Ecclesiastes is, it's written all over their face. The wise show their wisdom, Solomon says, even in their countenance. The wise comprehend a matter, and they have the confidence to act on that interpretation. But they don't act in arrogance. It's just clarity. It's quite clear to them by God's grace. So, for example, wisdom understands and respects authority. And wisdom knows how to live underneath that authority. Rather than rebel against authority, Solomon says, quote, keep the king's command. Because of God's oath to him. And if you have an ESV translation and you're looking at it, you'll see there's a footnote there because that Hebrew can actually be translated another way. It can also be translated because of your oath to God. In the context of the ancient kingdom of Israel, the king sat in the seat of authority. Right underneath God from a national perspective. He was the governing authority, to borrow a term from the New Testament. And though our government differs, our obligation to authority does not differ. Our oath to God, so to speak, is to respect what God has established. And so as covenant children of God, we submit to authority. Because, as Paul writes in Romans chapter 13, there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. And so we are subject to 
the governing authorities. That's the case in, the, in our government. That's the case within the church. And it is helpful to remember here that the king's heart, Scripture says, God turns like streams of water. He turns it, Scripture says, wherever He will. But that doesn't mean we will always like the direction He turns it in particular. And so, you and I must exercise godly patience with the governing authority. Solomon says in verse 3, Be not hasty to go from the king's presence. The idea is that, that you might be in the king's presence and you're, you're, you're angry and you're, you're frustrated. You grab your stuff and you get out of there. I'm getting out of this. Well, what's that convey? What kind of message does that image convey to the king, to the one who's in authority? Arrogance? Stupidity? Anger that is unwarranted? The idea that Solomon's conveying here is it's the pinnacle of disrespect. And Solomon's caution here, to drill it down, is a caution against impulsive behavior. Regardless of what our motive is. Behavior that, I might add, Solomon describes as evil. An evil that puts you at odds with the governing authority. Wisdom is required then to remember that when you're in the king's presence, Solomon says, the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? No one. Now, to be clear, this is not to say that there may be a time to oppose the governing authority, to disobey the king's command. The scripture shows us over and over that this is to be done cautiously and with humility. For example, consider Daniel's prayer life. The command was given. The law was made. And yet, Daniel was faithful to get down on his knees and to pray. And those who opposed him found him praying and, as a result, Daniel spent a night in the lion's den. All of our Sunday school children know this story, don't they? But we also see through the humility that Daniel exercised, through the civil disobedience upon which he acted, the king ended up declaring to the nation a testimony to the glory of God. And so there is a time and there's a place for everything, Solomon says, and the wise know the right time. Solomon says the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. And so if this is helpful, and I'll just stay right there in Daniel again, is when the governing authority commands its citizens to disobey the commands of God, then wisdom, along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, say in response... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods. As Solomon puts it this way in verse 5, Whoever keeps a command, meaning the Lord's command, will know no evil thing. Or you and I might put it this way, There is no law of man that outweighs or overrides obedience to God. Obedience to God first. 
But what Solomon is talking about here, not only in, in patience, but he's, he's, it's a discernment that we're to understand the time, the right time. In the third chapter of Ecclesiastes, remember when we were back there in Ecclesiastes, and it begins with that beautiful poem in the beginning, for everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven. Well, here in the sixth verse of our passage, we hear this repeated. He echoes this truth, emphasizing the necessity of recognizing the right time, but not just recognizing, but also responding rightly. For there is a time for everything, and a way for everything. For example, anyone who has lived long enough can attest to this. It's really easy to get into trouble, right? I mean, we tell our children that. It is so easy to get into trouble. We all know kids that didn't even have to work at it, and they excelled at it, right? It is so easy to get in trouble. A poor decision, a moment of a lack of discernment, and it can lead to just endless trouble. Fools rush in where angels fear to tread, wrote Alexander Pope. But wisdom helps us avoid that trouble. How? By considering the end at the beginning. Solomon, in a sense, is saying, don't act hasty. Don't be impulsive. Don't rage against the authority. You better stop yourself. And you better think about where this train is going. Because when it gets to the end, you may not be happy where it ends. That's the idea. And part of this wisdom then is knowing our limits. Right? As a, as a, I think about as a young man, all that testosterone flowing through my veins. No limits! Right? And then you get a little bit older. I don't know where the testosterone goes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it goes from growing hair on my face to my ears, I guess. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you think, wow, wow, dumb, 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 dumb. That kid was so dumb and thought he knew it all. And the older we get, the more we understand our what? Our limits. The limits that God has put within this life. Think about it this way. Though created in God's image, fact, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we're still created, right? We're still creatures. We're still fallen in sin. We still die. Solomon is going to repeatedly, within Ecclesiastes, remind us, you came from dust, and guess where you're going? There's not enough embalming fluid to keep you from turning back to dirt. So from dust we come, to dust we go, and though science fiction, I find this so funny in the, the era in which we live, sci, while science fiction would really want us to believe like we could just go on forever and ever and ever with just enough technology. And Solomon, thousands of years ago, says, eh? No, that's ridiculous. It's God is the one who has the power to retain the human spirit or death. God and God alone. But in this life, we do have the power to hurt. Now, we're really, really good at that. 
We've got the power to hurt others, to war against one another. We've got the power to kill one another. God only knows the limit of our depravity. But that's the point. We don't, but God does. God does know. And to emphasize this truth, Solomon considers funerals. It's a fascinating turn within our passage. And, and, and at first reading, it, it can sound as if it's a bit abrupt. But he says, okay, let's think about the funeral of the wicked. And, and he uses, in Hebrew, he uses the plural. So he's like, he knows more than one wicked person, like you, right? And he says, now I'm thinking about the funeral of these wicked people who during their lives, they masqueraded as righteous. They're faithful to come to corporate worship. Let everybody see me. I'm going to talk to everybody. Look at me. I'm here today. But it's a masquerade. They're noted for their good deeds. But Solomon says, but if you had a microscope and looked inside their soul, they're rotten to the core. And he says, that's that's ridiculous. It's hypocrisy. And yet, and yet, and this is what Solomon draws to our attention, they pulled it off their whole life. They were rotten, and everybody thought they were a saint. And they get to the end of their life. And Solomon's there at their funeral, and he's going, that's incredible. That is a mystery. They went their entire life, and they pulled it off. Void of conviction. They carried on as if it was acceptable to live wickedly. Masked with a spiritual superficiality. And you and I, and Solomon at one point probably, go, where's the justice in that? God, where are you in this? How can that happen? How can that be? But the better question is... Not where is God's justice, but where is our faith? Because it is very easy to look at the mysteries of this life and miss the importance of faith in God. Is our faith in some sort of karmic justice? A yin and a yang? Because it's all going to balance out within my lifetime. And then the older you get and you go, Not going to all balance out in my lifetime, right? Is your faith in some sort of karmic justice? Or is it in Him who declares the beginning from the end? Is our faith in some sort of social justice? Or is it in Him whose purpose will prevail? Isaiah chapter 46 verse 10 tells us, and it will always prevail. God is never in heaven going, oh, that I thought I had it all figured out, all planned out. And then that happens. <sighs> Better call Covenant Presbyterian Church. No. That's silly. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. And given our fallen human nature, you and I can be very short-sighted at times. But know this. Know this. Judgment day is a fact. It will come, the wicked will be judged, and the evidence of depravity will in fact be revealed. And so, stop looking to the world for what only God can provide. Stop it. 
Stop looking to the world for what only God can provide. Fear Him. Fear Him with reverence and awe, the Scripture says. Looking in faith to His promised provision. To Christ, who the Apostle Paul says, who became for us wisdom from God. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Our lot in this life is not to solve the puzzle. It's not to unravel the mystery. It's not to get the mathematical equation correct and then solve it and say, aha, that's what God was doing. No, it is to look to Christ and Christ alone. For Paul says, for all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. Are you looking for the answer to the equation? Looking to the solution to the problem? It's really simple. It is Christ and Christ Alone. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so, wisdom is revealed as we trust the Lord in all things. We trust Him in our work. We trust Him in our family. We trust Him with our children. We trust Him with our parents. We trust Him with the church. We trust Him in all of life. And by His grace, He helps us to rightly respond to the complexities of this life in a fallen world. He helps us with the right response. For example, and we all know this, or seen this, why do bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? Why? You and I, we know people who have loved the Lord, seek to live for Him, and yet encounter issues and problems and even tragedy unexplainably. And we go, Lord, why is this? And yet we also know people who don't know the Lord, who live like the devil, and they just seemingly flourish in life. How do you explain it? I think back to the book of Job. Job's friends had their theories, right? They had their theories on the answer to this conundrum. And they loved to voice their theories, I might add. And some of those theories contain little bitty nuggets of truth. But they are just theories. And they dissipate under the weight of life's complexities. Just about the time that you think you have life figured out, you realize you don't. And then you die. Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church. Spread and cheer on Sunday morning, right? (laughs) Solomon says, we're not going to figure it out. I'm just going ahead and let the cat out of the bag. This is how the rest of the book goes. You're not going to figure it out. Life is uncertain and will often twist and turn in directions that you can't foresee and that you may not like. Life that we live, we live this life And we see imperfect governments. And we see flourishing fools. We pray for the governing authority, but we also know that power often corrupts. We seek to right injustice, but you can't right all the wrongs in the world. We look around and at times we feel as if wickedness is just running rampant. Where this concept of things are getting worse and they're getting worse and terrible and, and a decline of our culture and all this sort of thing. You know, my, my typical response, I know it's almost as bad as the days of Noah. 
but not that bad. Not anywhere close. (laughs) And seeing what we see, it is really, really easy to fall into a kind of moral, cynical misery. I'm greatly concerned that many Christians seem to think that that's their lot in life as a Christian, just to park it there. My moral, cynical mystery. I'm cynical about everything, but I, I, I'm, I'm love Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The wise heart, the wise heart who fears God, trusting Him and His promised provision in Christ and His provisional working out of all things for our good, that wise believer looks around and says, this is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. The right response to life's uncertainties is to trust the Lord and entrusting Him to enjoy His blessings. So Solomon says this, I have a recommendation for all of you. Like, everyone in the world. Joy. I commend joy, he says. He goes on and says, For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. And Solomon's commendation here is so strong that in Hebrew it could also be translated as praise. I am praising this idea. This commendation for you It is joy. He can't be more adamant, I guess is the point I'm making, because amidst the uncertainties of this life under the sun, thoroughly enjoy God's simple gifts, such as food, such as drink. They're not merely fuel for the engine, but pleasurable gifts of God to be enjoyed. And you see, the child of God will see the pleasure of God through them, not as ends in themselves. And so, slow down. Don't scarf it down. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And there's no need to binge, but gratefully imbibe. Note the the bouquet of God's goodness, or what Robert Farrar Capon calls Water in excelsis. (laughs) Savor the blessings of God's good bounty. Because when the children of God do, conscious that we are the recipients of God's grace, Solomon says that we will carry it with us into tomorrow. Amidst our daily toil, the memory of our senses should remind us We're to be a sensory people. Our senses, the memory that we have of good food and good drink, it should remind us of God's good provision in all things. And so today, we're going to have lunch after this service. Whether you came prepared to eat with us or not. We're going to enjoy fellowship lunch. And you know what? It's what you're going to make of it. Because God has blessed us with a sweet, peaceful church family. And we're going to go across the street and we're going to enjoy fried chicken. And if you don't like fried chicken, don't eat it. Give it to me. And we're going to enjoy being together with one another. And we're going to enjoy the peace that God has blessed us with. 
If you're going to be grumpy, if you're going to snivel and get upset about something and be rebellious and angry and all this sort of thing, park it at the door, please. Because God has blessed us with food and drink and a sweet, sweet fellowship that can only be described but for the grace of God. And that you should say amen. So I'm encouraging you with what Solomon's words. Slow down and enjoy the good things that God gives. You need to be aware that this world obsessed with busyness, with, with it's always on, sleep deprived, 24-7 compulsion to be God, will do what it can to rob you of your joy. And when it tries, remember this. There's only one who neither sleeps nor slumbers. And it ain't you and it ain't New York City. We trust in the one who created this world. But he also upholds it by the word of his power. And we trust in the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last. And we trust in the one who is the beginning and the end. May all glory be to Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, we thank you for your word. And while at, difficult at times it can be difficult to work through, we thank you for the truth of it. And we thank you for the wisdom that you give, that we may know and practice discernment. We thank you for the cautions that you give us in your word, and may they direct us to see more clearly that you are indeed our sovereign God. But, O oh God, may we see with clarity, by the revelation of your Holy Spirit, your wisdom in Christ. May we look to him and him alone, by your grace alone, through faith, which is a gift, which we thank you for. And pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www dot cpcfs dot org. <laughs>